Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be looking back at the last decade of health IT. Hard to believe it's the end of a decade. <laughs> and be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 13 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. The end of a decade. It's crazy to think, you know, soon we're going to be living in the 20s. <laughs> That's right. We're going to be in the roaring 20s again. That's what it's going to be. Let's but, open uh, it the roaring 20s. That was, <laughs> sounded like a fun time, at least looking back. <laughs> well, it is It is hard to believe, you know, we're at, we're at 2019. We're going to flip over to a new decade, you know, in a few, in a few weeks. And, uh, yeah, it's just... It's crazy to look back at everything that happened when we last did this from 2009 to 2010. So, well, I even look back when I was a kid in school and my brother, he was going to graduate the class of 2000. And I remember they put a thing on his head, you know, one of those like uh, hand cut like 2020 graduate things. And, right. and now to think we're at 2020, I guess that just means we're getting old. I think- <laughs> That is definitely what's happening. Also, I, I can't, as a marketer, I have to say, I, I'm going to start cringing after the first month of all the 2020 vision jokes and, you know, in, you know, advertising campaigns, you know, uh, but uh, hopefully it'll be a banner year for optometrists. I don't know. Like, you know. <laughs> well, I also heard the great joke that said they need Barbara Walters to replace uh, Ryan Seacrest at the New Year's thing and say, and this is 2020. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, that's perfect. <laughs> some pretty fun jokes about that. But yeah, it's pretty crazy when we look pat, uh, back at the last decade, John. I mean, there's so many stories that, you know, you and I were talking about off air, you know, just around, you know, what's happened since 2010 and beyond. And, and we kind of came up with the, a list of, four things that we can maybe talk about. Like the big one for me, you know, for the last decade, what's the big news story over the last decade has got to be meaningful use. And the final rule and that, you know, that whole swath of money that was given out and the industry that basically created, to me, there's no bigger story in health IT than that one over the last 10 years. Yep. It's, uh, it's not even close. Uh, to be honest, we wouldn't even be here today and exactly. on healthcare ID today if meaningful use didn't happen. I like to joke that the Obama stimulus package worked for me, but uh, <laughs> that's actually true for the health IT industry and the HR industry in general. So, you know, people really didn't care about EHR or at least it was such a small percentage, uh, you know, and so meaningful use just put it in hyperdrive and in a big way, I guess $36 billion of stimulus money can do that. But what's interesting to me about it, you know, looking over the last decade is how irrational meaningful use made people towards ehr uh, you know they in the beginning they were very rational what am i going to get what's the value why am i spending this money and then they said government money for ehr you need to do it and people became totally irrational and it was it was pretty astounding how how people acted so different as they chased the meaningful use money and even macro and MIPS to some extent as well and how that changed their behavior. And I think the nice thing is I think heading into 2020, 
we're starting to see more rational behavior. We're starting to see more rational decision-making when it comes to, okay, I may have made some irrational decisions in the past. I may have spent hundreds of millions or billions of dollars on this EHR, but okay, let's be a little more rational and say, what can we really do with this? Um, And in many ways, it's hijacking a lot of other projects, but in many ways, it's also adding some structure to what people are actually doing in their EHR and other health IT investments. Yeah, for me, I mean, I look back and kind of go, well, the world before 2010, you know, less than 20% of the people were digitized. And, and even then, I think it was a skewed number because it was certain departments that were digitized and not everyone was digitized. So, you know, a lot of people will say meaningful use it was a failure or a missed opportunity. You know, I see it as, well, it's, if it's, its main goal was to digitize health records, and it did that. I mean, it, it wasn't perfect. But we, now we're able to have the discussions around, well, how do we leverage all the data that's inside it? How do we you know, uh, fix interoperability? How do we you know, do all these things? Those wouldn't be discussions that you know, we would have had back then had the stimulus money not come into play. So uh, I think obviously it'll be looked upon as more favorably as the years go by as, you know, hey, we're glad this did happen. It did accelerate the adoption of electronic records. And yeah, there were a lot of growing pains and, and frustrations along the way and we pissed off a lot of people and we created a lot of tech giants on the way but but in the end I think it'll be a good thing because um, I think now we're having I'll call it the first world problems of okay let's talk about interoperability because if 90% of the people are on an EHR right that's not something you could have said in 2010 and even then the optimistic projections of adoption of EHR back then to where we would be today was still only 70% like had it gone naturally so yeah, it's definitely the biggest story of the last decade, and it happened right in the early stages of, of uh, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012. And yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't be sitting here like this uh, if if that hadn't come to be. Well, and I, I, to your point, I think it's really simplistically looked at is if I look at the next decade and the things that excite me the most, AI, machine learning, even engagement with patients, even access to records, other things that are more patient focused the majority of those things would not be possible if we weren't on an electronic health record. So, uh, you know, in many ways, it was dealing with the plumbing. It was getting everyone on the platform. But now there's a lot of really exciting initiatives that we can do. For example, I mean, even just the simple fact of, man, our regulations suck. <laughs> you know, like, it's really hard. You know, the reimbursement stuff is overbearing. And, you know, like the, the, even just bringing that to light is a powerful thing that came out of the EHR, uh, you know, implementation and adoption. But I think there were some other things that were really interesting that, that happened around cloud as well. Uh, you know, when I first started, the idea of cloud was just almost foreign to most healthcare organizations. Sure, they do a little bit here or there, but, you know, the adoption of cloud over the last decade has just been extraordinary. Yeah, I definitely would agree. I mean, I think back in 2010, if you said you were a totally serverless uh, non-installed uh, application, people would laugh at you going, there's no way I, I accept the security on that. There's no way this would ever work. And, and you know, and vendors in those early days were literally laughed out of the room, right? By, by the yeah. big organizations. My EHR in the cloud, forget about it. <laughs> it just wasn't a thing, right? And, and you know, honestly, maybe they were ahead of their time because of the bandwidth issues and, and those things back in 2010. But 
but yeah, I mean, how far have we come now? Where where now people are starting to talk about, okay, well, how do I get rid of my servers? Right, they're actively looking for ways to get rid of them. They're talking about AWS. They're talking about uh, Google. They're talking about uh, you know all these and 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 uh, Microsoft Azure. They're, they're talking about how they can leverage these wonderful tools that are out there that are way more powerful and more secure than anything they can do in-house. But it took healthcare and other industries, just it took a little bit longer um, for us to kind of get there to accept that cloud. Well, and I'd say in this decade, we've seen a second evolution as well. So it's like, okay, I'm okay with the cloud and we should move to the cloud. And some went, oh, we should do a full cloud strategy. And now we're seeing kind of a pullback where they said, okay, yeah, we're going to be in the cloud and cloud is great for most things or a lot of things, but there's certain things that aren't great in the cloud. And so we're seeing more of a hybrid cloud strategy, which I would actually just describe it as a more sophisticated, more developed cloud strategy for most organizations and and you know it will see, I think that we'll, we'll see that continue to evolve where cloud is extremely valuable and is going to be adopted by many but the hybrid cloud is even more powerful yeah, and I think, you know, much like how we don't really talk about TCPIP, we don't really talk about, you know, the infrastructure, that kind of infrastructure, I think one day soon, we're not going to be talking about cloud versus not cloud, it'll just be part of the plumbing, right? It's like, oh, you know, you're going to be looking at it in a totally different lens, meaning it's just going to be part of the everyday operations. It's not going to be something special where now, you know, are you adopting a hybrid cloud or not, right? Like, it's still a thing. I think over time, soon, it won't be. It just be more like, what are you doing? How are you building your applications? What are your systems? Well, and it goes back to the question: If a startup company came to you today and said they weren't cloud, would you trust them? You know, <laughs> like the reality is, if you're a startup company, you're gonna build on the cloud. So anything that's new and innovative from a startup company is likely gonna be cloud, and so you know you have to embrace it and just build it. But it also, I mean, one challenge with the cloud and the part of this discussion really goes back to another theme of the decade, which is cybersecurity. And, you know, really, I guess at the end of the day, the adoption of technology has created a cybersecurity explosion, if you will. Of course, if it was on paper records, you couldn't ha lose 100,000 records in a few clicks. So that wasn't really an issue in the paper world. But now that we're online, electronic, and in the cloud, we've had a, just an explosion of even more advanced things like ransomware, let alone just simple breaches of, you know, I guess in the, you know, a decade ago, we were worried about an Excel file on a laptop that had 10,000 patient names and information. Now we're having, you know, millions of patient records, full records being breached or even uh, held up in ransomware. And I think that's been a huge challenge of the decade. Yeah, I think a couple of things you know, I take from this, you know, one, definitely, you know, the magnitude of breaches is much bigger, but I think that's partly due to because of the cloud, but I also think it's partly due to be uh, because people are making more use of health data, right? Like the insurance companies have a lot of health data, you know, your employer has a lot of health data. So health data has percolated beyond sort of the hospitals where traditionally that was where most of it was housed, right? But now everyone's got their hands on this data, the researchers and, and everyone. And so there's just more of it around. And when you're talking about millions of potential records uh, sitting on people's drives or sitting in people's storage on the cloud, yeah, it's more susceptible to attacks. Whereas before, you're right, like maybe 10,000, 20,000 records at a time might go missing. That, those don't make headlines except in the local news. But when it's a million, 5 million, 20 million you know, name breach, uh, you know, that'll make headlines.
Well, we've had so many breaches, it doesn't even become a headline, like, because we're so almost uh, used to it. But I, you know, I heard a great story recently about how sophisticated these people had gotten. Uh, this guy had had his email account breached, and they sat there quietly, dormant, watching his interactions, watching how he did it. So not only did they breach his account, but then they observed his patterns, and then they fashioned an email using the patterns that he would to his secretary saying, hey, we need you to transfer the $500,000 know, 500, to this account. And uh, they he sent it to the secretary. The secretary got it from his email with his approach that he'd used with other requests to transfer money. And so the secretary thought it was great. The only thing that saved him is that it was a little irregular in how he did it. And I think it was Western Union or something that they were using, called him up and said, hey, tell me about this transfer because something seemed a little odd. And if it weren't for that, it, he would have lost just a massive amount of money. And you know, just the fact that they're going in and not only under, you know, breaching the system, but understanding the behavioral patterns of them in order to scam them, it, you know, it's scary. Yeah, that's pretty scary. I think just related to that, you know, just a little bit, you know, cybersecurity, I think, was in the news or for me, a big story of the decade for the other reason of the investment. You know, I think, you know, a decade ago, it wasn't probably very high on the priority list for most IT purchases and most IT folks in healthcare because, again, it was, you know, everything was housed internally. It was all within the firewall. It was, you know, people felt relatively safe. I uh, turn that around and look at you know the latest spending on cybersecurity in 2019 and into 2020, and it's probably up there in terms of number one or number two priorities for most people, both in terms of talent that's needed as well as just software and hardware to protect against cyber attacks. So we've seen that change completely and pretty much get in line with the rest of the industry with the other industries where it is a top priority for from an IT point of view. Yeah, unfortunately, the spending is still down, according to reports, as far as a percentage of what we're spending. And we probably should have included cybersecurity spending in the meaningful use. So if you're going to go and adopt all this healthcare IT and all these technology solutions, you better invest in security. And we didn't do that. And that's probably a mistake on our part. Um, hey, listen, if you're just tuning in, you are listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lynn and Colin Hung. Take a minute to check out the archives at healthcareittoday.com. Plus, we'd really appreciate your feedback and ratings wherever you may be listening to this show right now. And please, we also love it when listeners give us feedback on Twitter. And please, you know, use our Twitter handles at TechGuy, that's John, or me at Colin underscore Hung. We love interacting with all you listeners and we appreciate anything that you can tell us to make this show even better. You've been known to tweet a little bit, don't you think? Just a bit. That's definitely personally one of the big things of the last decade was just hopping on the Twitter. But uh, it's good. We didn't even talk about social media. That's a, uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a new one for us. We we lasted a few minutes talking without talking about it. But OK, so let's change our focus a little bit, John, you know, from talking about the last decade to talking about this just this past year. And in terms of some stories and things that stood out, you know, one of the ones for me has got to be the talk around physician burnout. I think for the first time, I felt that this past year, that story really had legs. People were really making some meaningful contributions to having the discussions, to addressing it, to acknowledging the problem existed. Uh, and I think that's just gonna be a good thing for the industry. So for me, that was sort of a big highlight for 2019. 
Yeah, and I would define it really simply and say that we finally decided that physician burnout was more than just adding a yoga room or adding some sort of wellness class, that there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more that we can do to help with physician burnout than something like that. It's, you know, and that the EHR vendors and health IT solutions have a role in that that's important. It's not the only reason. It's, you know, I call it the whipping boy, as you know, that the EHR is the whipping boy of physician burnout and it plays a role, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, but that there's a lot more going on that's causing physician burnout. Uh, that needs to be addressed and you know, it's harming patients in the, and physicians. So I, I agree. I think it's become much more of a important topic and, and really beyond just being an important topic, it's been understood better by the people that are working on it. Yeah. And when we, you know, we talk about physician burnout, but of course, you know, there's also nurse burnout, administrator burnout, but I think there's finally recognition that healthcare employee and people who are in the healthcare business uh, you know, there's there's a toll it takes on them emotionally and mentally, which we're finally acknowledging. And you're right. It's not just putting a yoga room in. It's not just giving them more time off. It goes deeper than that. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot that's involved in there, right? Everything from the reimbursement models to just the way that people are treated, right? Like it, it is all of it. And, and then, of course, yes, the technology does, as you say, play a role. Um, we we it, care about administrators. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they deserve some love too, John. They deserve some love too. Uh, also, another big story for me, uh, you know, has got to be the, and we talked about it on a prior episode, just the entry, the entry of big tech into healthcare. We're talking about the Amazons, the Microsofts, the IBMs of the world, uh, Walmarts, you know, just this, these large, super large organizations from other industries now coming into healthcare and making a play got to be big news, was big news in 2019. Yeah, I think we say big tech, but I think it is also the big retailers, Walmart. I mean, Amazon is tech and a retailer, right? Uh, Walgreens, CVS. Right? I mean, the, the, the adoption of CD, CVS to more of a health company is just astounding to really consider and what they could do and what Walmart could do. And then I think we'll see even more uh, tech companies coming in. You know, I'm interested to see how much impact they can have. You know, I, I recently published an article on healthcareittoday.com around Google's effort to bring the EHR data together. And they showed some really interesting things. But unfortunately, I would still describe much of what they're doing as a feature as opposed to a replacement to what we're doing today. And so the question is, can they scale up to more than a feature and really impact care the way they want? So I'm actually more excited with like the Amazons of the world who are taking much, uh, much different, a, 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 a very uh, different approach to the Googles where they're saying, let's focus on our core competencies, things like cloud, things like distribution, you know, as far as the supply chain and other things like that in healthcare. And I think they may have a bigger impact even their Amazon clinics. I mean, imagine a clinic in every Whole Foods, and that's part of Amazon Prime. I mean, the, the, these are powerful things that I think actually may have more impact than Apple's, you know, ECG reading on the Apple Watch that most people can't afford and, you know, has limited uh, medical relevance. So, but they certainly are spending a lot of money across all of them, and it will be really interesting to play out because, you know, they have the billions of dollars in the bank to spend on this. And if they really want to go after it and they see the trillion dollar opportunity, it'll be interesting to see. My big question though is, 
are they just going to cash in on the trillion dollar healthcare system or are they going to invest in a way that's going to make the trillion dollar health system go away and they're going to create a new billion dollar health system that is still extremely valuable for them but actually lowers the cost of the system that's what i'm not sure my, my gut tells me it may be the former rather than the latter yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, at the end of the day, these these companies do uh, are beholden to their shareholders, right? That's they are for-profit entities. Uh, not to say that healthcare isn't as well, but I think their profit, you know, they're going to be more profit-oriented. I think if they can do some good on the way, they'll try. And they certainly hired some people, uh, you know, on the various teams that that certainly I think people would go. They are have the healthcare industry's uh, best intentions at heart. But whether that actually makes it through. Uh, we'll see. Um, it's certainly going to be a story that's going to be worth following over the next decade to see how that really plays out and whether or not they stumble again, right? Like, uh, like Microsoft did the first time they tried with HealthVault, and and now they're back again with some, with you know, after <laughs> learning. And Apple Health, uh, yeah, <laughs> they've all failed. So. Yeah, which is which I in my mind we go that's that, I think that's great. You know, we tried something didn't work, and they're now they're trying something else. So I think that'll be that'll be pretty fun. Um, I think another thing that's interesting is the Google, the reaction to Google working with Ascension Health. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, I mean, it really, it's bringing their capabilities to Ascension Health. I mean, we did an entire show on this, so check that out in the archives. But really, it was interesting how people reacted such a, in such a big way to Google, whereas hundreds of other companies have been doing similar things, maybe smaller scale, maybe a little different approach, but essentially in a similar manner. And we've never reacted to them, but because it's Google and they have that brand, we reacted in a big way. And that was really one of the stories I think of this last year is around this idea of data interoperability, of data blocking. And, you know, on the one side, Patients hate it when the data is being blocked by different care providers. But on the other side, they're also scared of these health IT companies or tech companies getting access to all this interoperable data. So there's this kind of give and take that's really brutal and has kind of played out this year in a big way around should we be blocking data or should we be sharing data everywhere? And it's a, you know, it's a nuanced conversation that is really hard. Yeah, and you know, to top it off, we've since learned, of course, that the intention behind sharing that data was very noble. That there was a legitimate research project, and they were showing you know, what they were doing with the data. And it turns out it's 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 a reason that any business would have gone into, right? And and that what they weren't using it to power their advertising, and they weren't using it to power these kinds of things. So. But there was that possibility. Noble, but it also scares the crap out of people, right? Like, I mean, you know, but, so you're right. You know, I, I, I think you're right. It was noble, but we're also scared. And that's what makes the conversation so hard. Yeah, no, and I think so. I think definitely data blocking, especially with the new rule coming in and the lack of definition and then the definition and, and whether or not, you know, the, does it have teeth? Is it proven? That was definitely a topic of conversation this last year. And I think alongside of that was the recognition of, okay, let's finally get moving on interoperability. Uh, let's stop talking about it at grand scales and let's just go ahead and start doing it. Let's start sharing data in meaningful ways. Yes, we risk the uh, the trust of uh, certain users if we are, you know, are found out later that we shared data and we didn't tell everybody. And I think some people are learning those lessons right now. Uh, so I think definitely that that was a story in, in 2019, and there were some other little tiny stories too, John. The one, the one that sticks out for me was just these continuing cases where you know you talked about people cashing in on the healthcare industry. You know there was uh, a company that you know is now in, in legal hot water and has since closed that 
was you know around the waiting room uh, uh, displays, right? And how they inflated revenues and and built a lot of people out of uh, you know millions of dollars and and just you know had got just decided that that was their way to riches, right? And so I think there's unfortunately going to be a few more of those stories uh, coming in 2020. But certainly that one stuck out for me as sort of like this little coracle representation of geez, this is when this is when IT can go wrong, right? Uh, when people are just trying to cash in. Yeah, and I think we saw that with the EHR vendors with multiple FTC violations that you know really required them to pay hundreds of millions of dollars for doing similar things, which is lying to customers. Turns out the FTC doesn't like that. The government doesn't like when you lie, when you fabricate, and when you misrepresent what you're really doing. And it turns out in healthcare, that's even more serious than some other industries because you're putting lives at risk. So you know, we I think in this year, it was a banner year that the government finally said, Said, hey, if you're lying, cheating, you're, you're still in your way to the top, that's a problem and we're going to punish you for it. Uh, some people think they're not punishing enough. It was a slap on the wrist and it should have been much worse. Uh, maybe some people need to go to jail or whatnot. Similarly, some people would argue, but they're definitely taking more of an attention to it. And Theranos was obviously the uh, the poster child for this. And, you know, they're paying the price for, for doing it unethically. Uh, but, you know, the, basically it's the idea that the whole, oh, you know, figure out your way, the startup mentality of, oh, you know, ask for forgiveness later, just go ahead and be cavalier in how you approach it. In healthcare, that's a pretty risky thing to do and could come back to bite you in a massive way. And uh, we're, we've seen a lot of that this year. So, I mean, I think there's been a lot of that. But I think on the interoperability front, we've also seen some really interesting movement, especially from the EHR vendors around their APIs. And we've seen some people who are saying, hey, we want to do it in the right way and we want to work with you the right way. And so, I mean, you know, along with the uh, cheaters and liars and scammers out there, I think we are seeing a lot of really interesting companies that are saying, hey, this is hard work and we're ready to do the hard work and let's build it together and you know with the EHR let's integrate it the right way and let's do it the proper way that you know really uh, you know helps provide value to the end user so I, I think we see both of those sides this year yeah you know I, I definitely agree with you in the sense that there's a lot of optimism, a lot of reasons for optimism in healthcare and health IT. There's a lot of really great things that are happening and brewing, whether it's AI or machine learning and deep analytics and, you know, uh, all these and, you know, finally recognition of workflow being a critical issue, uh, interoperability finally coming to play. There's so much hope uh, that I look forward to in 2020 and beyond. Uh, and then that kind of dwarfs all the sort of negative stories that we've been talking around around breaches and data blocking and and uh, and you know people pumping and dumping stocks you know in the healthcare world. But but I, I agree with you on the interoperability front. We're finally making some meaningful progress there. This API movement uh, is you know to me finally got legs to it after years of talking about it. We're finally making it happen. So you know fingers crossed that'll be something we'll be talking about in next year's recap to say hey we we've actually finally made some meaningful movement towards it again uh, in 2020. Well, we are both kind of Pollyannas, so then that might skew our view as well. But, you know, that's a better way to live. Optimism is better. That's right. That's right. Hey, listen, thank you to all of you who tuned in to this episode of Healthcare IT Today. Please find more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. 
I'm Colin Hung, along with my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening. Have a great week.